Good evening. Once again, we want to acknowledge to our Father, now God in heaven, that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. Uh, I believe that more, the more we know and understand ourselves, uh, the more thankful we will be for our God and for who he is. Uh, our God is not just the in spite of God, uh, he is the God of second chances. Uh, he is the God that is good because it is his nature so to be. And he is good even though he deals with us, all of us, all the time, all at the same time. The psalmist declares in Psalm 34 verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusted in him. And for all of God's blessings we ought to be eternally grateful. We want to direct your attention again this evening to the text that was just read into our hearing there in Psalm 24. Uh, we want to read again verse number one. Uh, Psalm 24 verse one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. From this psalm, we want to use this evening as a subject, what belongs to God. And as we consider the text that we have before us here in Psalm 24, I submit to you that one of the key things in our relationship with God is stewardship. Now, a steward, by definition, is a manager or one who is entrusted with the goods or possessions of another. And we should endeavor not only to be good stewards, but to be the best stewards that we can by the enabling grace of God. The principle of stewardship begins with a clear understanding of who owns what. Someone has said, if we want to know what we own, all we have to do is ask ourselves two questions. What do I have that money cannot buy? And what do I have that death cannot destroy? And when you answer those two questions, uh, then you have the answer to what we own. Man has always harbored some misconceptions about what belongs to who. Years ago, the Isley brothers sang, it's your thing, do what you want to do. Sometime later, Bobby Brown followed and said, it's my prerogative. I'm glad the truth doesn't depend on the accuracy of popular songs. Children erroneously claim that it's their room, while parents erroneously claim that it's their house. God enters the conversation and declares that both are wrong, for everything belongs to him. Now, I believe David made it crystal clear in Psalm 24, verse 1. But hear the Holy Spirit again in Psalm 50, starting at verse 10. The Lord says, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. 
If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Knowing the truth about what's mine and what's God's clarifies the nature and scope of our stewardship. David establishes here in Psalm 24 that God is the sole and complete owner of everything. And there are reasons that God is the owner of everything. Number one, God owns everything by right of creation. There in Psalm 24, verse 2, uh, David says, For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. You remember the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, says to us, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Since he is the creator and Lord of the creation, everything that exists belongs to him. But have you ever stopped to consider the magnificence of what God has created? Have you had uh, uh, the privilege of maybe going to the Grand Canyon or, or, or maybe to one of the tall mountains or even here locally, if you've been down Skyline Drive and, and, and just see, just look out at what God has created. And, and he was able to do this all by the power of his word in the span of six days. Moreover, have you ever gave thought to God's omnipotence in how he created what he did? The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 11 verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, the Hebrew writer tells us that God made something out of nothing. Now, I don't know about you, my mind has trouble grasping that truth. I, I believe that's why the Hebrew writer said, through faith we understand. It is not that we can figure out how God did what he did, how, how you can make something from nothing, how, how you can be eternal yourself and, and have no beginning or no end, but through faith we understand that God is the creator of everything. And we understand the principle of ownership when we talk about things that are ours. If anything I claim is mine is not really mine. God lets me hold it as a matter of stewardship, but ultimately it belongs to God. I believe this is why Job, when everything was taken from him, Job said, naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Jake, uh, uh, Job rather understood how this thing works. We come in with nothing, and despite our best efforts, we will leave with nothing, and everything that we hold between our entrance and our departure belongs to God and is ours only as a matter of stewardship. But not only does God own everything by right of creation, but again in, in verse number two, God owns everything by right of control. See, the world is sustained by God. Have you ever stopped to think about what it takes to keep the world uh, in place? You know, it can be hard enough trying to do the things that we wanna do in a day. But try to keep the world in place and the earth going around the sun and 
making sure that the seasons come in and out as they are supposed to. God alone supplies air and sunshine and rain. He, he alone keeps the earth hanging by nothing, spinning like a top in midair. In, in 2 Peter 3, verses 5 through 7, Peter says, For this they are willingly, they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were a hold, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The world keeps going round because God is in control. If we have air and sunshine, all of the things that we take for granted because God is in control. What if God decided to supply no air today? And like God asked Job, do you know where I keep the snow? I didn't even know there was a storehouse for the snow, much less where that storehouse might be. Quite often, men get it into their minds that man is in control, you know, because of what we have accomplished, failing to realize that anything we accomplish, again, we accomplish by the grace of God. Uh, we think we are in control because we impose our will on others, because we understand a little more and have more technology than prior generations, but we really aren't in control of anything. Do you remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar once thought he was in control. And the Bible says he went out and looked out over his kingdom in Daniel chapter 40, and verses 30 and thir uh, through 32, the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Now you got to be careful when you talk big. God might just call you on it. And Nebuchadnezzar's out there looking and saying, You know, I, I must be something. Look, look what I've done. Look, look what I've created. Nobody has a kingdom like my kingdom. But then verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. If we have more than prior generations, it's because God has blessed us so to have. If we have better technology than prior generations, we're probably piggybacking on what they did in the first place, but it again, it is because God has blessed us to so have. He owns everything by right of control. I'm glad God is in control. You know, we're getting around to election season and everybody talking about who we need in this office or that office. You know who we really need. The one we really need, we already have. It's just so many folk refuse to acknowledge him. God is in control. And, and just like old King Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in position to do something, 
Everybody yields to the omnipotent hand of the Almighty God. But not only does God own the world and the fullness thereof, to make it more personal, God owns us by the right of cleansing. You see, God paid the ultimate price to redeem us from our own sins. John 3.16 declares, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The world is God's physical possession, and the church is God's spiritual possession. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20, Paul asked, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. My life is not really my life. My life is really God's life of which God has made me a steward. But God owns everything. I want to read something to you. It's called Let the Church Crawl. One Sunday morning, the preacher encouraged the congregation to consider the potential of the church. He told them, with God's help, we can see the day when this church will go from crawling to walking. The people responded, let the church walk, preacher, let the church walk. He continued, and when the church begins to walk, next the church can begin to run. The people shouted, let the church run, preacher, let the church run. The preacher continued, and finally the church can move from running to flying. Oh, the church can fly, but of course that's going to take, a, take lots of money for that to happen. The congregation grew quiet, and from the back someone mumbled, let the church crawl, preacher, let the church crawl. Now, I didn't read that as a prelude to trying to put the touch on you for anything. But we want to be mindful of the unlimited potential that is ours because of the God that we serve. And we want to be good stewards of the possibilities and of the opportunities that God gives us to work in his service. Uh, all that you've heard about personal evangelism over the last two months, we want to be good stewards of the gospel of Christ Jesus. We want to share that good news. Now, now, we have no control over the decision others will make, but we want to share that good news with our neighbors. You know, there's a song every now and then you hear it saying, and the words of the song say, you never mentioned him to me. Wouldn't it be a shame at the judgment for somebody to be able to say that to any of God's children? You talk about God being good and God being gracious and all the joy that you have uh, in his kingdom and as his child, but why is it that you never mentioned him to me? God still calls men through the preaching and teaching of the gospel message. 
the good news that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried but raised the third day for our justification, people still need to hear that good news, Romans 10, 17. To please God, we must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, John 8, verse 24. We must be willing to repent of sin, Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. Make the confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Matthew 10, 32. And then be baptized in water for the remission of our sins, Acts 2, verse 38. And when we go down into the waters of baptism, God washes away our sins by the blood of Christ Jesus, indwells us with his spirit, and he adds us to the church. And the expectation when we come up out of the waters is that we will live obediently in God's service. A part of that is being a good steward of the grace that God has given to each of us. Ephesians 4.1 declares that we are to walk worthy of the vocation by which uh, we have been called. If you're listening to this message via one of the social media outlets, you want to be baptized into Christ Jesus, then we bid you reach out to our elders at elders at laurelchurch.net. If you're here in our audience this evening and this is your desire, then we bid you to come as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation. <laughs>